Hello everyone. Uh, remember that this is an ongoing investigation. If you have not listened to our first episode, please do so now and catch up right now. Okay? As always, thank you for listening and welcome to the Guy of Miracles. Across the skies, with one connecting flight and nearly 10 hours in the air, I arrived at the Eduardo Gomes International Airport in Manaus, Brazil. A modest airport with three terminals, one domestic, one international, and one for cargo. It was renovated in 2014 for the FIFA World Cup along with the stadium. I was feeling nervous. I'm a nervous flyer, but also because this was my first time in a foreign country with a different culture, and I don't speak Portuguese. And also I was alone. The tourist scape of Manaus has changed drastically over the last year and a half. Tourism has nearly tripled and stayed steady after the miracle at the Scar. Mostly New Age hippies wishing to connect with nature or what they called Neo Terra Firma, or New Earth. There's also millennials seeking ayahuasca spirit journeys in the magic forest, religious fans wanting to witness a miracle firsthand, and much smaller group of scientists, nature documentarians, journalists, and one awkward podcaster. I only had Elisa's description of our contact, and it was 100% accurate. I approached a large man about 6'4 and twice as wide as I am with mostly muscle, holding a sign with berry written on it, spelled like strawberry. Uh, bom dia. Are, are you waiting for me? I'm Barry Orson. Barry, welcome to Brazil. The man lunged forward and gave me a bone-cracking bear hug, lifting me off the ground. After some introductions, he led the way to his jeep and started driving southeast. His name is Diogo Alvarez, a big, jolly, confident man with an undeniable presence, larger than life, and a smile that is always dancing on his face. He's wearing an airy blue chino shirt with khaki shorts. His hair is curly black and cropped short. His eyes are the color of a mossy rock. He has a scar on the left side of his head, a straight, hairless white line from his temple to behind his ear. Part of that ear is gone, the tissue scarred over. Don't worry, Barry, I can still hear you. He caught me staring at it. They didn't get my money maker, and the girls, they love it. They think I'd lose it in a fight, eh? Have you ever been to Carnival? No other festa like it. Brazil is the land of pleasures, Barry. You can feed whatever appetite you have, eh? The most beautiful, talented women and men and anything in between, all dancing in a parade. So much skin and sweat and glitter and feathers and the mellowest of a goddess bouncing to the colors of the rainbow. What are M Melois? Ah, see, uh, how you, uh, come, jeez, uh, uh, you call them, uh, boobas, the, uh, you know, the, uh, uh? Oh, I think you mean boobs, boobies. See, see, it's a boobies, the boobies of a goddess, eh? All of Brazil holds their breath until Carnival. More than half of Boamata and Manaus go to Rio for the party. The village and the town, they go to sleep for a week, while the people, they go and celebrate in Rio. You must go to the next Carnival. I take you. You see Carnival the real Brazilian way. <laughs> Thank you. I'll take you up on that. You speak English much better than most people in Manaus. 
When I was a boy, I learned from the missionaries. The nuns and the priests all covered up from their head to their feet in the heat, eh? not even an ankle to show you what they're hiding under there. Eh? They come and they push their Bibles and their Jesus, and the kids, they learn English. To them, God speaks in English. As you may have noticed, Diogo loves to talk. On a relatively short ride from Manaus airport to his village of Boamata, on the other side of the river, he covered topics ranging from the weather to politics to food to the people to the mating rituals of monkeys. After deciding to embark on this investigation, Diogo was the first person I searched for, a witness to the event of the scar and the last person to speak to Elisa. It seemed a safe bet. He wasn't hard to track down with the information Elisa had given me after our interview in Chicago, more than a year ago. Through a network of journalists and foreign contacts, I was able to get my number to him. He agreed to an interview, but not over the phone. He preferred in person, and he thought I should see the scar for myself. Diogo is very easy to talk to. He spoke honestly and freely, and I felt at ease with him. Diogo treats everyone like family, like we had known each other in childhood and we were now reconnecting. And judging from how people on the street and at the docks waved and greeted him, he had that effect on everyone. How did you end up being an owner of a shipping company here? My mama, she dies when I'm 13. My papa, he works on the fishing boats all day and he drinks in the bars all night. So I don't see him much. I go to work in the port at the Rio. The port in Boamata is the biggest in central Brazil until you get to the borders and to the ocean. The patrão was Miguelo. He was master of the whole shipping company. He shipped everything from wood to gold, fruits, coffee from the fields, metal from the mines, the goats, cows, everything. Miguelo, he knew my papa from the bars. Uh, he used to say, uh, he said, my papa drink tequila like a fish drinks water, but he hits you like a stone rolling down a hill. <laughs> yes, that was my papa. And Miguelo, he gave me a job cleaning the warehouses and the offices. He became my new papa, but I never called him that. Miguelo was like a, like a cacao bean. Eh? He was hard and brown on the outside, but soft and pink and sweet on the inside. So Diogo learned as he worked from people who cruised through the port. Miguelo, his boss, took him under his wing, taught him the trade, how to make deals, run the port, and eventually he let Diogo live with him at the warehouse after he was essentially an orphan. You inherited the business from him? See, see me and Bruno. Bruno was another stray Miguelo took in. If Miguelo was my new papa, then Bruno was my new brother. I found him. Eh? One day, when it was so hot you could boil a lobster in the Rio, a captain paid extra for Miguelo's crew to clean the ship. They had a long trip back to Africa. One of the shipmen take me to the captain's cabin to clean. It was so dirty and so hot, but in the corner was a big leather chest. I think, this captain, he is a pirate and this is his treasure. I close the curtains, I open the chest and my little heart stops. Inside was Bruno in a little ball at the bottom. He looked at me with his sleepy eyes and I never forget it. His eyes bright white in his dark face. It was swollen like a ripe grape in the heat. He was wet with sweat and like, like God took him and dipped him in the rio and shot him in a chest to dry. Diogo found this little boy in a chest. He checked for anyone who might be watching and half carried, half dragged the boy back to the warehouse. Oh my God, you just took him? Was he a prisoner? Seem, seem, I think. Bruno never told me how the captain got him. Then what happened next? 
So I go back, I screw up the captain's cabin, I close the chest and I pray he don't open it till he gets to Africa. I go back to the warehouse and Miguelo is there and I try to tell him. But before Miguelo could understand, the captain comes through the door, red and drunk and angry like the Diablo himself. He points a pistol at me. Where is he, you son of a bitch? Return what is mine! He explains to Miguelo and Miguelo turns around and he asks me in Portuguese, is this true? And I say, the boy was dying in a chest, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but Miguelo, he tells me, go upstairs and do not come down. The captain, he gets mad and Miguelo is really good at sweet talking. Eh? So later, he comes up to see Bruno. Bruno, he don't move. His eyes like diamonds in his dark face. He was so scared. What is your name? Miguelo asks in Portuguese and then in English, but Bruno, he says nothing. Then Miguelo says it's time for dinner. I hold out my hand and something clicks in Bruno's head. He's not going back with the captain. He is staying with us. He takes my hand and I drag him to the table to eat. That's incredible. So you basically adopted him. See, see. And Miguelo, he calls him Bruno because he reminds him of a little black dog he had as a boy. The dog was sweet but timid and would always hide when strangers were around and he never barked. <laughs> Just like Bruno. He loved his name. Eh? Bruno didn't talk for two years. We thought he was mute or he was dumb. But Bruno started doing work. It, he was good and it was fast and he never complained. One day, Miguelo says today we have the day off and he never said that before. So we go to the beach, far from the port, we're eating mangoes and candy all day. Then Miguelo tells me what he paid for Bruno. He had to sell one of his cargo ships to make up the money. I ask him why he do that for some negrito he didn't know. And he say, why did you help him? Diogo, people are not property. People are not tools for other men. Nothing is worth more than the freedom of men. I never forget it. Oh yes, and Bruno, he's in the water. He looks at me, he looks at Miguelo, he looks at the Rio, and he speaks his first words. And in Portuguese, he says, I am free like the water. <laughs> Barry, I forgot your question. We had been sitting in his park jeep for a while now, next to the docks and the shore. I suggested he give me a tour of the yard as he continues. It is an enormous complex in comparison to the rest of the village of Boamata. Men move quickly with machines, loading and unloading heavy containers from several dock ships. The port has a small restaurant and a bar. The main building is a cement warehouse where Diogo has his office and also where he lives. All of the people wave and greet Diogo as we walk. He gives some instructions and shakes hands and signs papers. We sit on a bench outside of the main warehouse. A kid of about 12 or 13 brings him a steamy mate gourd with a silver straw. He sips it and he stares out at the water. I talk too much, I know, I know. No, it's okay, it's a good thing, just keep going. Okay, so the business. Me and Bruno, we both work for Miguelo and he starts teaching us the books, keeping records of the ships coming in and out and making deals with the different businesses in Manaus and the villages and the foreigners that come a lot. But Miguelo was sick, very, very sick, and he told no one but the doctor. Miguelo died one day sitting here on this bench. It was a dark day for Boamata and Manaus. A big funeral for him. All of Manaus come to join Boamata at the cemetery on the hill over there. 
People cried and they drank and they celebrated, toasting Miguel all the way to heaven. Even my papa was there. I had not seen him since I was a boy. He was sweating, he was already drunk, and his face was red from crying. And uh, he put a, uh, a gold coin into Miguel's coffin. Maybe to say, thank you for taking care of me. I don't know. My papa, he put a hand on my shoulder and he nodded his head and then he left drinking from a bottle. That was also the last time I saw my papa. So you lost both of them that day. I'm really sorry. You know, I also lost my dad when I was really young. Sim, Sim, it is sad, but it is okay. I was happy and he was happy in his way. The two brothers grow the business and expand. More warehouse spaces, more ships, and more imports. A few years ago, the Heidel company comes to Boamata. The government sold them part of the forest right outside of the village. The people are angry. They protest, but it wasn't much. The people of Boamata and Manaus have never protested before, and the world didn't care enough. The politicians, they are happy. Their wallets are fat with money. Heidel brought new money to Brazil and more money to Boamata. The hotel in the village gets money to build so their workers will have a place to stay. And then they hire people from the village to work in the factory and the fields. They weren't paid much, but it was more money they could ever make in Boamata. They bring more ships and trade and helicopters. Oh, the helicopters. I remember the first day I flew in one, I was in love, Barry. Ships were my first love, but helicopters are magic. Flying in the skies over the forest and the rios. Me and Bruno, we are great businessmen. Eh? We build a pad for them to land for a fee, and then we learn to fly. I convince Heidel people to let me buy one and fly them to and from the airports and to the other cities. A new business. I was king of the skies. Most of the people in Boomata had not seen a helicopter before. We were like, like aliens coming from space. Eh? So we start selling rides to them on the weekend. Wow, not a single missed opportunity. No, Barry. I am a great businessman. Now I believe it. And that is how I met Elisa. Oh, beautiful Elisa, my love. The soccer cup had come to Brazil, finally, and we fill one of our ships with people and food and alcohol and we go all the way to the port in Manaus, drunk the whole way. We set up in the streets like the Catholics at the Vaticano and we watch on the big screens outside the stadium. It was heaven, Barry. It was a heaven and I met an angel too. Elisa, a beautiful angel looking for a cheap ride back into the sky. <laughs> How could I say no? But my heart, Barry, it was no heart attack. Elisa, she stole my heart. <laughs> but she saved me too. I woke up with those lips kissing me back from death. And Barry, I am so sorry about Elisa. I think about her a lot. Sometimes I feel guilty. Why? I don't know, Barry. For giving her the helicopter? For giving her the boat? For not going with her? I don't know. I know, Elisa, and you couldn't have stopped her. Sim? Sim? Did you love her? Um, I, I mean, we've known each other for a long time, and yeah, I did love her. I do love her. Let's go inside, Barry. I want to tell you what she told me when she left on the boat. 
Diogo and I went inside, through the warehouse filled with containers and crates, but also a rec room with TVs, DVDs, video games, fridges stocked with water and alcohol, an enormous espresso machine that seemed out of place in a beautiful Spanish-style kitchen. We settled into his comfortable, air-conditioned office that looked like a museum. Every piece of furniture and art came from a different era and country. He had slowly collected the pieces over the years from different ships from all over the world, and yet, Diogo fit right at home there, a part of the collection. What Diogo told me of Elisa's last day in Boamata, I will cover a little bit later. I steer the conversation back to the scar. I'm interested in your experience at the miracle and what happened afterwards. See, see, I talk too much. Bruno used to say, Diogo, you talk so much that when you die, the gods will cut out your tongue and it will still talk for eternity. <laughs> okay, so, me and Bruno, we are still in the bar. It is almost four in the morning and the people are still drunk. Then a big green light in the sky, like, like fireworks at the carnival or, or like the sun jumping into the sky. It came from the forest. We don't know what it was. I think maybe high they're doing something fishy and the people they start talking then they start to panic you see gossip spreads like fire here the trees the trees they're back people say many go straight to church to pray they say the gods and the, the christian god is mad and all kinds of things and chiago a man who lives on the edge of the village he thinks he's gone blind from the light but he's just drunk <laughs> so i come here back to my office to sleep on the sofa before starting work but there is a message from Heidel. All ships and planes canceled. Diogo, do not fly your helicopter. Then, beautiful Elisa calls me. She's going to go see what happened. She needs my helicopter. And I tell her, I cannot fly you in. Heidel is most of my business, eh? and I do not want to go in there. Maybe it is God. Maybe it was a bomb. You never know it was Heidel Bastardos. So she say, Diogo, darling, just say we stole it. And she goes. Half hour later, the jeeps come with the men and the guns and they question me and they question Bruno. Did they say they were from Heidel? Same. And no. They say we represent Heidel. They ask, is that your helicopter out there? And me, I play Bobo. I say, no, no, my helicopter is here. Oh, no, where did it go? It flew away. <laughs> and me and Bruno, we laugh. But the men, they don't think it's funny. One of them hits me in the belly with their gun. They assaulted you? Sim. But that is nothing compared to what they did later. The men locked Diogo and Bruno in their office for the entire day and most of the night, saying they'll be out as soon as the hijackers are caught. And I think, oh no, my Elisa, I've made her into a criminal, into a thief. I try to explain my joke, but they don't listen. Bruno gets madder and madder and he's trapped again. We are trapped. Early in the morning, a man comes. He's wearing the same gray uniform as the men. They were wearing gray? Like this? Same. Same, that one. It's the same uniform Elisa showed me. The same, she said, were worn by the men in the helicopter. According to Diogo, the leader of this man was a man named Scryer, or Skinner. I haven't been able to find any information on him yet. All of Heidel's records are classified and bound in red tape. This man came in the early morning of the next day to tell Diogo and Bruno that they could go, but that the port was shut down until further notice. They also blocked the road that leads to the gate to Heidel's lumber plant. Reporters had started pouring into Manaus after Elisa's recording went viral. Then, those Heidel dogs say, you can go back to work. 
So it will look like nothing is wrong, I think. They say they are bringing more machines, more people, more supplies to go back into the forest to start cutting. The people of Boamata, they hear this and they go crazy. They come to me and they say, Diogo, we cannot let those sanguesugas do this again. That, that means, uh, uh, the leeches, uh, the blood eaters. Hmm? Heidel was trying to go back in so soon? I mean, wasn't their factory destroyed? See, see, but they don't care. I don't know what they are trying to do. Why were the people more upset this time? The people, they believe that the gods and the spirits did this. That it was a second chance. It must be protected. And what did you do? I listen to them. I don't let the Heidel boats into my docks. They cannot use my helicopter or the landing pad. The people start to protest for real this time. Menaus joins us. They curse Heidel, but Heidel gets angry. They say my business belongs to them. They threaten me with their lawyers first, but it is not worth murder to me. Then they come with their guns and they throw me out of my home and they take my business, those filho de putas. They kicked you out of your home? Sim, Sim, and I am mad, and the people are more mad, and they come with their weapons, <laughs> their pitchforks, machetes, sticks, torches, knives, brooms, and some guns, and I try to keep them calm. Heidel has lots of guns. Then, Heidel brings a ship to the docks. They unload into a Heidel truck and drive it to the gates. The people are thirsty for blood. They follow the truck, chasing on foot, screaming like angry monkeys. I don't know what to do, Barry. We are angry. We have weapons, but Heidel has a damn army. The truck stops at the gates, and all around the gates, along the fence, are the indigenous, the angels, hundreds of them from all over the Amazon. They saw the light, and they saw the trees are back, and their zamas, their, their, their witch doctors, the, the priests. Yeah? They say the gods and the spirits told them to protect it, that humans must not destroy this gift. The villagers, they believe this too. They believe in the old gods and the spirits, they get angrier. The angels, they start their rituals, they make big fires and they dance and they pray and they burn things and they make offerings to the gods of the trees and the fruits and the animals and even the gods of the insects. They put a curse on Heidel and the men. And Bari, this is important. The angels have never left the forest before. Most of them lost their home when Heidel came and cut down the trees. You've heard these stories, yes? Yes, there was a large campaign in America protesting deforestation and the eviction of indigenous people. Eviction? That is a pretty word, eh? If the angels don't leave, they make them with violence. Yes, I heard that too. It is okay, Barry. I know you are a good person, but if the government don't care about anything but money, what can we do? Hmm? So the angels won't go, the villagers won't go, they join together. The Heidel men don't know what to do, they threatened us but we don't go. The night comes and the fires get bigger. The people still in Boamata, they bring us food and blankets. The Heidel men get tired and angry and they have no food. They cover their ears because the angels have not stopped playing their music or singing their verses. One of the men come over to the angels fire and he starts screaming and cursing evil names. The angels, they keep dancing. The man turns red and then purple and then he starts to shake. He takes out his gun and he hits one of the dancing angels in the head. The angel falls and is bleeding everywhere. 
Wait, they attacked first? Seem, Barry. And the angels, they start to howl. They wave their spears and their arrows and they scream their war cries. You ever hear their war cries, Barry? It comes from the back of the throat, high like a baby in pain, but loud as thunder. The other angels along the fence, they hear it and they start to cry too. The cry travels farther and farther in the dark in both directions until it sounds like the whole forest is crying for blood. The Heidel men, they get scared. They think they're hearing demons or ghosts and they shake and then they get their guns. It was like a dream, Barry. Before it turns bad, eh? you know that something is about to scare you and eat you, but you can't do anything about it. I look for Bruno and I say, we must go now. But Bruno is filled with hot blood. In the night, he looks like a devil. His dark skin red with anger and his bright eyes like white fire. Bruno says, no, they cannot take what is not theirs. And then someone shoots. One of the Heidel men and the war begins. There are bullets, there are screams, the angels fire their arrows and throw their spears and screaming, their horrible war cries and even I think the demons are here. The villagers, they fight too, <laughs> with knives and stones and sticks and shovels where they fight men with guns. It is a dark night, only the fires help us see, but everything is just dancing shadows and flashes from the guns. I tell them all to run. There are too many guns, but they don't listen. I only hear the screams of the dying and the bullets. Is it Heidel men or is it my people? I don't know in the dark. And I think, find Bruno and run. And Bruno is on the ground in pain and in coughing. And I drag him up and I tell him he's stupid and we can't win this fight to the trees to run. We get close and then another truck comes very fast, lights so bright and the fighting stops for a moment but it is more men in grey with more guns. In front of the lights they are like black shadows. Eh? They get in a line and they raise their guns and I hear the click. Run, I scream, into the trees and they start shooting. There are so many bullets and so many flashes and everyone is screaming and running to the forest and even their own men are shot. But the line of shooters, they don't follow us into these trees. The war is over and it is quiet. That is also how I lost my ear. I fall down and I think I have died. There is a ringing in my head and my ear feels like fire and I am bleeding. And it is very, very quiet. And I don't know, Barry, if it was because it was so quiet or the bullet make me crazy, but I want to go back to see. I don't know why. I want to see the dead or I want to see the men who killed them. I whisper to Bruno in the dark to hide and wait. He tries to speak, but I go. I tell him, don't be stupid, be quiet. So I go like a little mouse, quiet as close as I can, but still in the trees. My heart beats so fast, I think I'll have another heart attack. And I see an old Inja woman, wrinkles so deep and her hair silver like the moon. Her whole body is covered in, in orange symbols eh? and she's on her knees praying or cursing. She don't move and she don't open her eyes. She is not afraid. 
and the man in gray walks up to her. It was that Skinner man who locked me in my office. I know it was him. He laughs and he shoots the old ninja woman in her head. I felt the boom of that bullet in my teeth. I go back to Bruno. Scared they'll start hunting us in the forest. And Bruno, I say, they're fucking monsters. We have to tell the policia, tell the reporters, tell everyone. But Bruno, he was dead. He was shot while we ran to the trees. Blood poured out of his belly and his neck while we sat behind a tree in the dirt waiting for me. His beautiful dark skin was pale like ash. His white, white eyes were open, staring at nothing, staring into death. He looked like a little boy. He looked like little Bruno I found sweaty and thirsty inside a pirate's chest. I'm so sorry, Diogo. It must have been a nightmare. Tim, Tim. Do you believe me, Barry? I believe you. I, I don't have a choice. It was a massacre and your brother's dead. I mean, did you come back and tell police or the government, the media? The reporters, they don't believe us. They believe what Heidel tells them. Injos and Boamata hate each other and they fight for who owns the forest. There is no real policy on Boamata. And Menaos didn't send police until after the people were dead. The government didn't do nothing at first. They say, we are investigating. Please stay away from Heidel. Can you believe that? When Heidel killed all those people and they tried to take my port. So no one was doing anything about it? No, not for a while. They took too long. The media started calling it the Massacre at the Scar. There was no way to hide the fact that so many people had died. Natives, villagers, and Heidel employees. Heidel blamed Boamata, but Diogo's story began to spread. First to Manaus, then the neighboring towns. Soon, campaigns started up all over the world to protect the new rainforest, calling the Scar a second chance. There were global protests, and civil war threatened the capital. But the world was fighting to protect the forest, not for justice for the people they killed. I don't like it. It is not right. But at least it got those Heidel putas out of Brazil. They are still arguing about it, still in their courts and their hearings. More reports and more research and more investigations. And I don't know when it will end or who will win. The people of Boamata, they still wear black. It feels like the ghosts of our dead are still here. We made a big funeral for everyone. Even the angels come into Boamata for the first time ever. They do a ritual for the dead. Their priests, their zamas, they clean our streets of the dead souls, sending them to heaven. I'm truly sorry, Diogo. I mean, what happened when the government suspended Heidel's operations here? Did they leave right away? Heidel was gone. I don't know why. They took what they could and they left. But we burned everything. We burned everything that belonged to Heidel. The signs, the fences, the supplies, most of the hotel, their warehouses, the trucks. I even burned one of their ships. They had one they used to keep supplies here at the docks. And we burned it and we danced in the heat. It's been a while now. We recover, we smile again, business is still good. Not as good as Heidel money, but I will see this business burn too before I ever help those monsters again.
Following a small feast organized by Diogo at his warehouse home, we loaded into one of his jeeps and headed to the former gates of Heidel Corp's National Resource Plant. The fence was in ruin. It was built out of wood and wire and iron bars. Most of it is spotted with deep rust. The wire has been twisted and bent out of the way. Some panels have fallen over altogether. Others were charred black. It looked as if it was abandoned to the elements for much longer, like a scene from a sci-fi movie after all the humans have disappeared. Following along the perimeter of the fence were trees and flowers, fungi and lichen. It looked like an entire forest was locked in a cage. Some of the wire acted as a trellis for creeping vines, covering them in wide, waxy leaves. I could hear a river running somewhere nearby. I stared at it, silent, for a long time. I couldn't wrap my head around it. The trees, hundreds of feet in the air, the plant life covering every open space to catch the sunlight. All of it had not been there one minute, and then the next minute. It's there, tangible, solid, real. No one has gone in since the massacre? The scientists and the investigators, but they left when the government told them to go. Mostly now it's tourists and sometimes the crazies, eh? Have you gone in? No, Barry. The people of Boamata, we do not go in there. We watch from here, eh? Are you afraid? Uh, it, it is like church, eh? We go, we sit, we pray, but we don't step on the altar or steal the father's wine from the closet. Eh? You know what I say. There was something spiritual about the forest, some feeling that demanded quiet respect. Can I step inside? If you want to, but not too far. Eh? I climbed over a fallen panel of the fence, just a few steps into the forest. The vegetation was thick and the canopies above set it all in the shade. I was only a few steps away from the clearing and Diogo, but it felt like I was miles away from anything but trees. I thought it would make me nervous this feeling of isolation, but I felt completely calm. It was cooler in the shade, the air felt fresher, the colors more bright and vivid, the sounds amplified. The Amazon truly is the most beautiful place in the world. Do you hear it, Barry? Hear what? The animals, the insects, uh, the birds. They all come back. And I did. Elisa, she come back to Boamata, an angel knocking on my door, eh? This is when Diogo led me into his office after our tour of the docks. He wanted to tell me what happened when Elisa returned to Brazil. Diogo wanted us to be away from everyone who might be listening. He agrees to let me record our conversation because, according to him, the people of Boamata don't listen to podcasts. This was his attitude about our whole interview. He wanted to tell me his story if it meant making Heidel Corp look bad, and may help in finding out what happened to Elisa. But he didn't want to remind the people of Boamata of their suffering. I make a big Brazilian breakfast. Gary and Larry are here too. She heard about the massacre. She says, Diogo, darling, I'm following a lead. <laughs> She's always saying that. She spends the day talking to my workers and to some of the people in the village. I don't know what she asked them. At night, she asked me lots of questions about boats and reels. Elisa's really good at asking questions. By the morning, Elisa had searched all of my records and found what she was looking for. In my ledger, a ship with no name or cargo and no information where it come or where it go. I call them cruzadores, cruisers because that is what they are doing. She asks me about this. Are they private boats that are just passing through? 
Same, same. And no, these ships pay me not to see them, Barry. You know what I say? Yeah, got it. The ship had come a few times in the months before. The same man gives me lots of money not to report it, not to look on board or inside. The whole deck has only black containers and I never saw the crew. This happens sometimes. The boats, they come, they pay, I let them stay and then they go. And just in case, I write in my book a cruzador just passing by. So Elisa was interested in this one boat? Same, same. Why? The last time this boat came was the night of the miracle. She thought there was a connection? She thinks the people on the boat did it. Who were they? That I don't know. You had no information on them? I mean, this boat docks here a few times and you didn't learn more? Did you ever see anyone leave the boat or unload something? Anyone getting on the boat? Barry, I told you, they paid me big money not to see. And this happens sometimes. Maybe it's someone famous or a criminal hiding. Maybe they were transporting something valuable and they didn't want the pirates to find them. Maybe they were pirates. I don't know. They caused no trouble, so I don't see. Okay, what about the man that paid you? Can you describe him? The, the man was short and he had yellow hair. His eyes were blue. He was wearing a green uniform like the army. Was it the army? Did he speak English? No. The uniform was green, but it had no signs on him. And seemed English, but it was with an accent and I don't know which one. Okay, uh, what can you tell me about the ship? It was maybe 400 feet painted all black with no name. A good strong engine no flags, and there was a dish on the deck. Like a satellite dish? See, see. And the ship had a symbol painted on the side. What symbol? Like this. He draws a triangle pointing down with a line across the lower half, and then he draws a circling snake intertwined with the triangle about to eat its own tail. Oh my god. She thought they were Gaia Prime. See, see. I tell Elisa all of this and she says, Diogo, darling, I need to borrow a boat. So I give her one, an old boat, but a good one. And she goes. And like you said, I could not have stopped her. So I say, be careful. And if she can find the ship, then the Heidel people can too. Was Heidel searching for this ship too? It is possible they had searched my whole warehouse and all of the books when they kicked me out before the massacre. And you think that they would want to find who did this. Can I see the books? No. Sorry, Barry. I burned them, and the computer too. After Elisa did not come back, I think maybe Heidel will come for them and find out what boat Elisa took. And we don't want that. I wish I had not given her the boat. The boat was never found either. The symbol Diogo drew on the paper was the same symbol that has been floating around the internet since the Gaia miracles began. It was a symbol tied to story and rumors about a mysterious black ship moving silently, appearing suddenly out of the fog, like a modern-day flying Dutchman that allegedly housed whatever aliens or deities or people who were causing the miracles. At the time when Diogo had told Elisa, there was no way for her to have known this. The connection didn't come until much later. But Diogo has filled a blank in the story that has been bothering me for more than a year. I knew Elisa had rented a boat, but I didn't know why. At the time, I figured she was going to visit neighboring villages or maybe take a boat to the site of Heidel's lumber factory. It was the only way to reach it without walking miles through a new forest. I never got the opportunity to ask her. I didn't even know Elisa was going back to Brazil until she landed, and by then, she was already procuring the boat. 
This was Elisa's big lead, and now it's mine. She rented a boat, pointed it east towards the Atlantic, and chased a ghost ship. A myth. Was this mysterious ship the same one spotted throughout the world? Was the ship the home of Gaia Prime? Did Elisa find it? Did they find her first? Did Heidel? A big thank you for all of our listeners. Once again, if you have any information on the whereabouts of Elisa Garvey, Gary and Larry Wright, a journalism team from Chicago, last known to have been traveling from Boa Mata or Manaus in Brazil on a boat named the Sirena or the Mermaid, please contact me at niceguysmedia at gmail.com or on our website. In our next episode, we'll be looking at the second Gaia miracle, the deep freeze. Bring a coat. See, Barry, I tell you, the girls love Americans. She says you look like a movie star, eh? <laughs> it is okay. I will introduce you later. She can teach you how to dance on the floor and in the sheets. <laughs> now we get ready for Carnival. It is time to be alive again. I tell the people it is time to stop wearing black. Eh? We take my ship all the way to Rio. One week long party. You can come too, Barry. I will show you the best boobas in Brazil. <laughs>